I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. Girl, you just don't realize what you do to me when you press play on this podcast show. You let me know everything's all right. Hooked on a podcast. That was um, Hooked on a Feeling. They did that in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Oh, shoot. That's what you were referencing. Yeah. Well, at least that was in the trailer. <laughs> it was like, ooh, gotcha, go. Ooh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. No, that was in the first movie. Yeah. It was great. That movie really changed up the way that people were looking at Marvel in general. Guardians of the Galaxy, the first yeah. one. Because before that, it was all Captain America, and then the Hulk, and then Iron Man. and It was kind of like classic hero-y and... There was some comedy going. It was like happy, but also sad. There was more comedy in it than there was with the other things. Mm-hmm. Like before that, we were getting Tony Stark being snarky. Yeah. You know, we might get like, you know, somebody might say something charming or, or clever every once in a while, mm-hmm. but we didn't have any dedicated comedy in Marvel yet. I don't know if that was before or after Thor The Dark World. Which one was Dark World number two? Yeah, it was the, That's really, the one nobody forgets. The really nobody bad remembers. one that nobody likes and nobody <laughs> cares about that we hardly even remember. Yeah. I didn't watch it for the longest time and it made no impact. I think I saw it in the theaters. Thor universe. Yeah. Yeah. You saw it in theaters? I think so. Because that was the one where. I don't really remember. <laughs> Natalie Portman's character breaks up with him. I don't remember this. Is that why he was so sad in, I want to say, Endgame? Or was it Infinity War? It was after Ragnarok. Because they made him change and he was cool in Ragnarok and then they threw away his character development in the next whatever movie he appeared in. He was in... There was Thor 2. There was Age of Ultron. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Ragnarok happened. Ragnarok changed things up because it was Taika Waititi directing. Yeah. And see, that was another one that was dedicated comedy. Mm-hmm. I think much like Taika Waititi, James Gunn is brought in to do that same kind of thing hmm. with Guardians of the Galaxy. Cause Did he direct it? Yeah. Okay, did he directed do all, all three? three of them, yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's produced by Kevin Feige, who is the same guy who puts together a lot of this stuff for Marvel in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to... like, They get different directors to do different projects, obviously, because they want different tones. But yeah. James Gunn was put in charge of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and he brought that new sense of humor into the series. Mm-hmm. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy, you have to make it funny because it's not like when you look at the characters, they don't lend themselves to superheroism. Hmm. It's it's not you know you're not watching somebody being super on Earth. Yeah. So it's hard to get the same feeling if you were gonna try to be like a dedicated action. I'm not saying you couldn't do it. I'm saying it'd be weird. Because even the comics world of it isn't like that. Yeah. It's Rocket Raccoon constantly making quips. Hmm. It's Drax the Destroyer, you know, trying to fit in with the group. It's it, All of them, they suit themselves better to comedy than they would elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that made Chris Pratt such a great choice for Star-Lord. Because it came off Parks and Rec? <laughs> yeah, that was another interesting thing about that transformation. Because he was just like this slob of a goofball mm-hmm. from Parks and Rec. And then they're like, here's a bunch of money. Start working out. Yeah. And Fitz Action Star suddenly, right? Welcome to the Forest Creek Podcast. We're back now from Guardians of the Galaxy 3. The, and I guess you would say it's a trilogy because it's odd to see these characters showing up in and out of movies in the Marvel Universe mm. and then still think this is some kind of like coherent thing. But when we're talking about a movie that's dedicated to this particular group of people, Mm-hmm. the Guardians of the Galaxy. They've been saying that this third movie is the final one of, like, the Guardians' Guardians. Okay, yeah. Which is, it makes sense, given that it kind of ends on this idea that, you know, anybody could really step into the role yeah, of being one of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that the cast itself has always been kind of shifting here and there, especially near the end, but... Mm. I think I'd be correct in saying that this is maybe one of the most beloved superhero teams that we've seen in cinema altogether. You know, because we've seen the X-Men team up a bunch of times in their own movies. Mm-hmm. We've seen the Avengers, and then we've seen, you know, different duos like 
Uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon do their own TV show. We watch a lot, a lot of superhero teams, but Guardians of the Galaxy, they're most beloved. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because of something I was mentioning earlier. They're dedicated to comedy. They're dedicated to being human. They're not dedicated to I being think, heroes. Yeah, that, la- that middle part, dedicated to being human. They're essentially the most person-like of the Marvel Avenger universe. Yeah. Which is funny because they have, like, the least actual humans on their (laughs) team, don't they? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Amongst the whole big group of aliens and mishmash of people from all over the universe, it gets down to still everybody's got core problems of I'm angry at this person or my family's like this and so I'm like this. Yeah. How do I fit in? And they exemplify human emotions. Yeah. The Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, the first movie we were talking about earlier, it starts off with this idea of found family, which is very common Mm -hmm. in a lot of things. It's this storytelling archetype where your past did not have, was the family you were born into, but it wasn't necessarily a loving one, Mm -hmm. or it wasn't necessarily kept together, or maybe it fell apart, like for Star-Lord when his mom dies, Mm -hmm. for instance. And then found family because you meet a group of people who might be suffering from the same conditions and then you fall in together because of that and you become each other's family Mm -hmm. quite literally found family now the first movie is very much about that because it's this group of misfits who get together and then become like their own mercenary crew a little bit there but it's not just any kind of mercenary crew they're halfway heroes because they're still choosing to do the right thing to put down the bigger bad guys, despite the fact that they're also kind of thieves at the same time. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, I think he said it in this movie. He said, I I was a professional thief, remember? Yeah. He was like a (laughs) rabbit. He was one of the space pirates before he did anything else, you know? And then the second film kind of follows up with that idea of found family. It brings you to a confrontation. It's where Peter Quill is going off to meet his father, who Mm -hmm. is... In the comics, technically, Ego, the selfish moon. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like a personification of a planet that wants to eat other planets. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because the first movie, you know, you're finding the family. Second movie, you're confronting the old family. And that stays true even after the second movie because in Gamora's case, because that fir- Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is Peter Quill confronting his father. Mm-hmm. You know, afterwards when they show up, it's Infinity War. Yes. And Gamora has to confront Thanos, her father. Because at that point, up till then, Thanos is like this background guy. He shows up in like the after credit scenes and stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess I'll get off my chair. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll put on the Infinity Gauntlet. It's like the <laughs> slowest build up to him showing up. That it's it's kind of weird to see him show up in Infinity War because everyone's like, who's that? Mm-hmm. Even though we we've always known it's always been in the back. The other big Marvel like supervillain who shows up is Galactus, and we like never see anything. I Galactus. Want to say I've never even heard this name. He's just like you'd recognize him if you saw a picture. You'd be like, oh, that's Galactus. Mm. But it's basically this just giant dude who shows up to eat Earth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy also, because like I mentioned, they show up in Infinity War. They also become a big part of the movie in Endgame. Thor joins them for a little while, which was very interesting. In Endgame? In Infinity War. Oh, okay. Because I think Thor is leading the Asgardians and trying to recover from the mess of Ragnarok, mm-hmm. the previous film, and then he right, has a run Right, he's in a spaceship at that point, yeah. right? Yeah. And then he has a run-in with Thanos, and doesn't go well. And then he gets adopted by the Guardians of the Galaxy for a while, mm-hmm. and stays with them throughout um, until Thor Love and Thunder. Oh. For a little while, which is another movie that... Uh, was that the second Thor? Andres and I actually talked about that movie in our own review. We did Thor, The Return of Natalie Portman. <laughs> and then here we are with Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Although they did say at the very end that Star-Lord will return. Whoa. I can only wonder in what. Probably some Disney Plus <laughs> series. It worked out pretty well for Loki. I watched Loki season one and I was actually intrigued. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Owen Wilson is in it. It was a pretty good choice. <laughs> it, you don't think about that as being good. Yeah. And then it actually, like, oh, I actually really like his character. I like what <laughs> they've done. Yeah. But um, this movie is very tonally different 
hmm. from the previous ones. There's a lot more. Yeah, we were talking about that, how like the intro of the first two is pretty much like happy-go-lucky action. Yeah. But this one is... Darker. It's yeah. more serious. It's more emotional. It's everybody hates each other. <laughs> Nobody's happy. <laughs> Star-Lord's getting smashed. Even the music choices. That was yeah. another thing that's big about these Guardians of the Galaxy movies, that it's volume by volume, right? The first volume is because it's the music that Peter Quill takes with him from Earth. The second one mm-hmm. is the second tape, right? Third one... I think in the second one, actually, somebody gives him a Zoom. <laughs> He's been away from Earth so long, he doesn't know what an iPod is. Yeah. So he gets a Zoom. <laughs> and now we've been hearing music off of that Zoom throughout this movie. Okay. And the music choices are different. They're not, you know, funny. They're not, you know, lighthearted songs like they were in the first two movies. They're more deep. It starts out with Creep mm-hmm. from Radiohead, which is like, oh, we're going there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That was interesting because, and you know, the camera follows when we when we first start that it follows Rocket Raccoon, who's kind of like the pseudo main character of this movie. Yeah, yeah, he's the main character despite showing not showing up a lot, but despite being same. kind of absent from yeah. the first half. Yeah, right. First, like two thirds. Yeah, more. It's like really that. the majority of the movie. He's just. Except in the flashbacks. Because the whole point of this movie is that it actually digs yeah. into Rocket Raccoon's backstory. It features a character from the comics known as the High Evolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a dude who's trying to make the perfect race. Essentially, he's a, a, he's crafting species from the ground up and trying to create the perfect intellectual race. And he's hung up on Rocket because Rocket is the one that has an idea for an invention. Yeah. He's like, oh, this is what I've been looking for, this higher level life form. Yeah. The it's way, just in an imperfect body. I think the way he described it that was really well, it's like he could think something that's never been thought before, essentially. Yes. He solved a problem that nobody, that even like uh, Rocket solved the problem that the high evolutionary couldn't solve. Yeah. But the high evolutionary made him, so how how is that possible? And he's yes. obsessed with that. This movie has a lot of very strong points about focusing on this creator-created kind of relationship, right? Um, It's interesting because there's something similar to that that happens in um, one of the more recent... In Thor Love and Thunder, Christian Bale's character is kind of like this embodiment of nihilism Hmm. where his character sets out to, like, kill the gods. Christian Bale's in Thor? In Thor Love and Thunder. Is that the fourth one? Yeah. Okay. He shows up and he's like this dark character with mm. this necro sword that can kill any god or whatever. So he's like this embodiment of nihilism. In this one, I would say the higher evolutionary, he's like an embodiment of this tyrannical deity. In a sense, who's always out to like, he's trying to make the perfect being in his perfect image. Yeah. Well, one thing I noticed with this movie that was... Essentially, if the first one was about found family, the second one, I think you mentioned... It's like confronting the old family. Yeah, it was confronting old family. I think the third one, to me, looked more like, essentially, intellect versus heart. Interesting. Head over... Heart over head, that idea. Hmm. Like, which one's better? And high, high evolutionary is only head. And he manifests that, essentially, representing he literally only cares about a single brain. He doesn't yeah. care about all the lives he's making and creating and destroying. All he cares about is getting one brain. Because it's interesting, he's it shows you the stages that he's going through. The first stage is he's creating beings at, by taking animals and then pushing them through thousands and thousands of years of evolution until they turn oddly humanoid, which I find is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> is that all of It's funny to see so many different kinds of aliens, but all of them, two arms, two legs. Yeah. Roughly the same, you know. That's that's uh, one of the funniest ways to portray aliens is to just have different colored people, <laughs> which I don't mind. I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to what the high evolutionary is trying to do, he's he's starting off with these experiments like Rocket Raccoon, mm-hmm. and then he's taking animals and putting them through these things to turn them into different humanoid species, but they're super violent. Mm-hmm. And then he figures out, so he's got a way to get intellect and like. But then the bodies are imperfect. Then he's got the way to make the good body, but then the minds are imperfect. Mm-hmm. And then Rocket Raccoon comes up with an idea that now he's able to produce 
a new version of species where he's describing them at one point. He's like, they only need 30 calories a day. Oh, yeah. And they never get tired, and they're always happy. And they can rewire this sort of thing in two minutes. Yeah, they're super smart, but only in the way that we've taught them to be. Mm -hmm. They can't come up with ideas. They can't solve problems with new answers, Mm -hmm. which is what Rocket Raccoon can do. So he's like, once I pull this final piece of the puzzle together, we'll have made the perfect race of people. Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, if he's able to make that perfect thing in his image, that must mean his image is perfect. I also got to say, it just seemed to me like the high evolutionary is a huge furry because (laughs) he's just constantly making a giant planet full of animal people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's just creating zootopia he's always um, working on zootopia yeah and it's like he's talking about like i'm making the perfect people and how can it's like you're just a disgusting animal thing how can you be in the utopia the the perfect world it's like every single thing you've made is a disgusting animal thing <laughs> now i've never read much into uh Rocket Raccoon or the Guardians of the Galaxy in general. Mm-hmm. So I'm not 100% familiar with what they're like in the comics. I do know that throughout the past couple of films, like we've always had this feeling from Rocket that him on his own, he's always concerned with the fact that he doesn't fit in. Mm. Which is why Groot makes an excellent sidekick because Groot doesn't care. Yeah. Right? It's always the two of them together. Um, they're like semi-criminals or dirtbags. They're just bounty hunters who try to catch Peter in the first one, and then they all get sent to jail together. Mm-hmm. Um, but Rocket Raccoon, he doesn't... There's no other alien that's like him. And then we learn why. It's because mm-hmm. he's an experiment. Yeah. And it's hinted at a couple times in the other movies, but we never... We always get the sense that it, there's a dark backstory here. We just mm. don't know exactly what it is. This idea of being completely experimented on and made as an abomination yeah and then we watch it happen in this movie and this is one of the things that people used to would point out about this movie is that they would say it's darker than the other ones Mm -hmm. and that's true it's not something they're 100 percent sure they should let their kids watch like if you thought that if you were one of those people who watched toy story 3 and then you were watching you were crying as the toys were holding hands about to go into the incinerator this is a lot of that there's a lot of that in this movie and a lot of that with like the other animals and the thing, they showed them to you and then they made you care. Yeah. And like them, it's very cute. A lot of things that they do in this movie to like endear you to the characters is mm-hmm. they do a lot of cute things. Even the jokes that like the guardians do with each other, they're cute. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I will say there was that one part where they're like, they're just running around laughing and then they say, oh, it's so good to have friends. It's like, what are you laughing at? Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that was, that, was an that one was weird. That one was weird. Yeah. <laughs> but they do strike that chord. If you are somebody who are gets squeamish when an animal is in pain, mm. this movie is gonna make you uh, shiver <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. It wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot of like actually show. It was a lot more implied than it yes. was shown. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There was never like. It is a little creepy to see like a, oh definitely a possum with robot arms. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that, which fits very well into like this alien verse, especially when you're seeing like the bigger, you know, the ones that get into the fighting. Yeah, they're like you know gorilla cyborg or whatever. Yeah, dude, the war pig. <laughs> the war pig. <laughs> These things look terrifying. I love that it just had like a regular girl's voice. <laughs> she was. It's like the war pot war pig looks over and goes. Hey, we work for the same guy. What are you doing? <laughs> I also love the reference from the previous movies because uh, one of the previous movies, they go to visit the student named The Collector. And The Collector has like a little prison where he keeps these things that he thinks are great. Mm-hmm. One of them is the dog, uh, Cosmo, the one oh. in the spacesuit, who is like Laika, the Soviet dog who got sent up in the shuttle. <laughs> yeah, it was like tele- telepathic powers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck is one of the most interesting Marvel characters of all time. Like, it's it's so underspoken. He had one terrible, terrible movie where they did him in, like, live action, but not, like, CG live action, like, animatronic. Oh, I thought you were thinking, it like, a guy dressed so up as a duck. Bad. They had, like, a puppet be Howard <laughs> the Duck, and it was so bad, dude. Like Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. He has, like, one of the silliest stories ever is that Howard the Duck just starts out in his duck universe. <laughs> And then somehow he gets pulled through a portal in time by a wizard. 
and ends up in the human universes and he's constantly jumping universes and unable to fit anywhere. He was like Deadpool before there was a Deadpool. Yeah. In that the Marvel Universe needed a clown. Mm-hmm. You know, a Pagliacci. Was he... What is Howard the Duck's thing? Is he literally just a duck that can talk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has no special There's powers. There's no powers or anything, man. He's what? just a regular dude. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he doesn't make like a big appearance in this, but he's like sitting around playing cards yeah, with everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I remember the duck. I was showing you one of my Deadpool comics that I picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, they basically th- those comics lead up to Incursion, which is the event in the Marvel Universe where they recently rebooted everything. I say recently, it was a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reboot everything by having the, all the galaxies collide and start from zero again. Yeah. One of the addendum comics they do is this story where Deadpool tricks Thanos and steals the Infinity Gauntlet. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm gonna start having my fun with the Marvel Universe and he does this thing where he does the roast of Deadpool and then they like gets all the Avengers and everything and everybody's talking back and forth and (laughs) roasting each other and then he walks out of it he's like this is not fulfilling I have all the power and it still sucks I Mm. I feel like the universe is Pagliacci Um, Pagliacci is that joke or like the guy goes to the doctor and says doctor I'm depressed the doctor says I have a great idea for you to cheer you up go see Pagliacci. He's this amazing clown. He'll make anybody laugh. If he can't make you laugh, if he can't cheer you up, then there really is no hope. Mm. And the guy goes, but doctor, I am Pagliacci. <laughs> Which is the thing that Deadpool's kind of saying. is like, I make everybody, I cheer everyone up. Yeah. Everyone loves Deadpool, but I feel depressed. I don't know, I'm mm. the sacred clown in this. And then Howard the Duck is like in the background smoking a cigar. He's like, oh, you think you have it bad. <laughs> you think you're a messed up clown. He's <laughs> like, I'm a duck man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so Howard the Duck shows up in this. I'm not I'm not as hot with Marvel as I used to be. So I, 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 if there were more Easter eggs, they've kind of passed me by. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the way that the characters have grown. Do you remember much from the first couple movies? I really don't. But what's really nice about this movie is that you don't need to have seen any of the other movies. Yeah. You don't even need to see a single Marvel movie whatsoever to watch this movie. Maybe that's not entirely true because I think the only thing it would be missing... It won't contribute much, to be honest, but you'll well, be no, missing I'm... the backstory to like, yeah, what thinking... is the deal with Gamora? The only, well, even that, you don't need to know. Because they kind of, they essentially explain <laughs> what happened. And they like, make mention of it. I don't know if it's very the, clear. The elevator scene where Star Lord straight up just monologues it for think, a solid two minutes. That's a good point. Like going into it, I, I never saw the second movie. But, and I totally forgot in Infinity War. It's like yeah. I, I entirely forgot that Thanos threw her over the edge or whatever, and I don't e- I still don't even remember them bringing her back, and suddenly she's a different person. But having that context of just the way they had Peter Quill essentially tell her so many times, "We were in love, we were in love, we were deeply in love, we were in love, we were in love. It was all great. Now, yeah. now you're this." <laughs> he really had to like make his peace with that in yeah. this movie. Yeah, and that helps you under as the viewer understand even if you haven't seen anything before understand okay this was a serious thing something happened it doesn't matter what happened all that matters is that something happened and now she's completely different i'd say that you'd still be losing color but uh, you are right that you can watch this movie without having seen anything else yeah i think the main thing you would be losing is you'd miss a lot of that found family element in it because they really became a family over the past yeah. two movies and if you're just jumping into this third one you're like you'd get the idea but i don't think you'd feel it as deeply i mean maybe that's just been my experience and i haven't felt it as deeply but because it, it's i saw the first one when it came out i think i saw it in theaters maybe never saw the second one at all because i watched a recap like three hours before we were also this. like watching the characters start to get annoyed at each other the way that siblings yeah. do yeah Right, where they're like, God damn it, Drax, you, you're always <laughs> saying useless things, you're of no help yeah. to us, you're just constantly, your input is always just pissing everyone off. 
Um, you laughed at everything Drax said. Yeah, he's I always He's played do. by Dave Batista, the former <laughs> WWE wrestler, one of my favorites. Mm. Um, Batista's done, I think he's he really broke out with the Drax role when he did the first hmm. Guardians a little while ago. He fit into it very nicely. It's Drax is like, Drax the Destroyer is like this guy who's seeking vengeance against Thanos for the destruction of his planet and mm. the death of his family. And despite all this, he comes off as such a goofy character because he takes everything literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the first one, they're doing their things like, nothing goes over my head. <laughs> my reflexes are too quick. I will catch it. <laughs> and in this case, you know, he always speaks his mind. He always just goes, like, hello, idiots. Mm-hmm. Hello, moron. Mm-hmm. It's funny. <laughs> you are far too ugly for me. I would never. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> Mantis fits in as a as an interesting character because like she comes in at the second movie, and you don't think about her that much. You mm. you don't make a big deal. You just kind of feel like she's gonna be there in the second movie. She, you don't think about her joining the Guardians afterwards. Yeah. But she continues with them, right? And then she's a lot more outspoken in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I liked I actually really liked her addition to the whole thing because having missed the second one and forgot Infinity War, I was. They're going through all the characters, and I've seen them before and whatnot. And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember her from the trailers of number two, and uh, she was like vague and emotionless, but now she's very expressive and whatnot. And then at some point, I was like, where's the green girl? And then they mentioned Gamora. Yeah, it was like something happened to Gamora, and I was like, she. Like, you were so uneducated about Marvel, dude. Yeah, because I've watched less than half the movies. <laughs> I watched Endgame, and I was like. It took me the entire half the movie to figure out that the girl with long red and white hair was Black Widow. Oh my Widow. god. <laughs> they changed her hair. How am I supposed to know? What do you think about uh, Nebula? Which one was Nebula? The she blue the blue one? one? Yeah. Because I... she was Gamora's sister. She was yeah. the other daughter of Thanos. Yes. But yeah. whereas Gamora was like a favorite daughter, Nebula was like the constant experiment. Yeah. So he's Which... constantly like modifying I remember. Her I remember vaguely that that she was the one that hung out with Thanos and was basically his little servant person and she I don't know betrayed him so to speak you know (laughs) it's like yeah it wasn't fun but no I I thought her character was fine because she was she was a really good representative of the whole intellect side of the head head versus heart theme of this whole movie so I think Nebula and shoot Mantis are like the exact head versus heart because nebula is all head mantis is all heart yeah i think that's very true yeah i don't know i'm going but it's it's a good dichotomy and representation nothing about nebula made me especially hate her even though she's like constantly pissed at everybody you'd think it would get annoying her like constant meanness and yelling and coldness but but it's like it doesn't at all no no because at the end of the day she's also like she's not just always pissed constantly that would get annoying but there are times it's like she's just here to not just here to do the job but she's clearly part of the team yeah and you kind of get that she cares maybe but it's more so that like she's more focused she's the head part of it she's like we need to do this and this is how we do it and we need to go here and do that yeah and then everybody else has a lot more heart to them and so they always mess things up and that pisses her off so it fits with the theme entirely, which I think is why it doesn't really rub you the wrong way. I was in and out with Chris Pratt. Oh, really? There was something in the very beginning when we see like a drunk one who's still recovering from like his heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And then we learn the fact that, oh, yeah, we forgot the real Gamora is still out there. Yeah. She's just has no memory of it because, well, to mention real quick what happened, basically, she's... In Infinity War, she's thrown off a cliff by Thanos and sacrificed after doing this, after being with the Guardians for quite a while, after forming a relationship with Peter Quill, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, they become lovers in some sense, and then she's thrown off a cliff and killed. Mm -hmm. In Endgame, they do some kind of gambit where they do time travel. So Thanos, in the past, figures out what they were doing, and... Right subverts their plan by time traveling to the future to meet them and he brings with him his assassins Gamora and Nebula Mm -hmm. and the Gamora from the past is brought into the future and she doesn't get killed along with Thanos and the rest of his army Hmm. 
So now she's just trying to find her way in this future time, so realizing this... there was like an alternate future self of her who fell in love with Peter Quill and all that oh, stuff. Oh, shoot. So it's not even the same person, essentially. It literally is a completely different person because it's her from... Yeah, she says it herself. She's like, this was an alternate future of me. It's not yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. So throughout this, you have Star-Lord is like heartbroken over the loss of his Gamora. Yeah. And... To her, it's like he's trying to force that identity onto her yeah. so he could have her back. I mean, he kind of is. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact that she's really against it and not that person at all. And very vocal yeah. about it. <laughs> I love how consistent her character is in that. Her number one tactic is grab a hostage in every situation. <laughs> That's even, true. Even when it gets down to um, that sovereign guy. <laughs> and he's in there and whatever like he just smashed through the ship and then she grabs his little pet and says don't move or the, th or the weird thing gets it don't overreact or something so, like that to finish on this point real quick is yeah. like the heartbreak that Queter, Peter Quill Queter Pin Star Lord mm -hmm. the heartbreak that he's experiencing and his back and forth about it, it like it is on the edge of becoming old mm. to me by the time we're like halfway in the movie it yeah. gets better so I'm glad about that mm-hmm but you brought up another interesting one. It's like the gold guy. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning of the second movie, they steal from the gold people, mm -hmm. even though, you know, because the movie opens, they do this Mr. Blue Sky kind of montage of them fighting this alien and mm -hmm. Groot's like, don't press the button or whatever. And they're going to blow themselves up, but they manage to save the day. And then they also steal from those same people mm. and then leave. And those people, the gold people, the sovereigns, right? They're one of these semi-perfect races mm -hmm. that were created as an experiment by the high evolutionary you know our main villain of this movie and their secret weapon is that they have like their own superman that yeah. was created for them and that's adam warlock mm -hmm. who's played by will poulter in this movie he's the one with the superpowers who shows up what do you think of that guy i thought he was an interesting character in the show because he essentially just showed up to destroy everything in one second yeah he was like really <laughs> powerful yeah i think that's yet again head versus heart his mother and the um evolutionary are much more on the head side and he's much more on the heart side but he's still trying to like i don't know get their approval or he's like i am the warlock he is and... kind of dim-witted this yeah. whole time like, not he's even like, kind of huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Despite being very powerful, he's yeah. not a big thinker. Which is hilarious. The most major thing in the movie that if since I hadn't seen the second one, the only, I'm just glad I watched a recap that I even knew the sovereigns existed. Otherwise I'd be like, What is this gold man? Yeah. Who are these gold people? It's funny, they were interviewing Will Poulter for this movie and they were telling him it was like on social media, Adam Warlock's known as a himbo. Which is a guy <laughs> bimbo for being like really beautiful. Yeah but also really dumb. Yeah. I was like, well, and then Will Poulter's like, yeah, that kind of sounds like it's in line. He's not very bright. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I thought it was good, though, because he is slowly converted throughout the whole movie. The more he... Because he's not very talkative as much as he is. Like, I think he talks in almost every scene he appears. But, but he doesn't say anything overtly complex well, or no, expressive. Yeah, but yeah. He, he's kind of just like... You, you see his change and development the more he encounters the guardians yes the more he essentially switches to that heart side that he naturally has he's not much head he's a lot of heart i would almost say that he would like he shows up and he's all heart when you see him in these scenes he's yeah. always angry yeah. he's like he's passionate about being at a warlock yeah. and like doing what's right for the sovereigns even if though he doesn't really understand yeah the depth of what that means yeah yeah I also really like what they did with Drax mm -hmm. um, himself, where they kind of brought him full circle. Because the whole idea is that Drax was, he's John Wick, but for his family, his wife and daughter and all <laughs> yeah. this. And they bring him full circle through interactions with children. They're like, they remind us, oh yeah, he was a dad Yeah, at one point. And they bring I, it back to that. I assume they say that in the first movie that he was a dad. He explains it very yeah, straightforward. Because I completely forgot that. Yeah, And the whole time, you know, it's like he's... He's the destroyer, but he's a pretty bunch of goofball. And then he's like, I had a daughter like you once. And I was like, what? It's funny because like you meet him in prison and his whole thing is that he's the prison shank guy. <laughs> and he never stops using knives the whole mm -hmm. time. So it's like, oh, he's the same exactly 
as he was. Yeah. Even like he tries to attack, he's like, hmm, I cannot stab it from the outside, so I will stab it from the inside. He gets himself <laughs> eaten by an alien and tries to like, yeah. he, he, they get a shot of him in its stomach. Like, oh, he's like, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's been the source of a lot of comedy. I think he's a lot of the humor in this third one yeah. is him. Yeah. I mean, is he, he's kind of the comic, the main comic relief in all of them, isn't he? It's true. Normally, before that, it was like Rocket saying something kind of crude or snivelly, which yeah. Rocket's always been one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Uh, voiced by Bradley Cooper, mm-hmm. who does such a good job that you don't even know that it's him. No, he's it's Rocket. And then <laughs> next to Groot, who's always voiced by Vin Diesel. <laughs> and although all he ever says, I am Groot. Yeah. And then they pay him a million dollars. (laughs) They do the joke multiple times where he just says, I am Groot. And then someone goes, that is that complex idea that you just had. It's really good. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I really like that. Because that was like, that just reminded me of essentially a scene from How I Met Your Mother. Mm -hmm. Where Ted has this one date and he shows her Star Wars and she hates it. Because it's like the teddy bear things and this giant bear and like oh he just growls and go yeah that's right bear that's a good idea it's like what that's so stupid and this is Groot's essentially the Chewbacca of the series where he just says I am Groot and everyone goes yeah good idea I never understood that either when R2-D2 just goes bleep 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 bleep, and they go that's not possible R2 what? (laughs) everybody speaks droid (laughs) it's like essentially Gamora voices that whole thing like you guys are just making this what up. Do you, you don't actually with? know it's what like, he's talking he's about. He's <laughs> Yeah. I think my favorite part of this movie was definitely the fight scene that they did in one shot. Dude. Yeah. That was so sick. I, I'm glad more movies are doing them because they're such a cool time to show off some yeah. really cool stunt choreography and some stuff. But you don't get as good of an example of the Guardians fighting together side by side than mm-hmm. you do with that one. I, it just It's awesome. It makes for better fight scenes because you can't hide a hit with a cut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you watch Liam Neeson in one of his more recent movies, he throws a punch in one shot, and then we saw the punch flying through the air in another shot, and we see it connecting in another shot, and then we see somebody reeling back in another shot. Whereas, you know, ever since John Wick, really, a lot of fight scenes have been like that where you watch him throw his punch the punch mm-hmm. flying the punch connecting the guy reeling back yeah. it was all in one shot like I remember I think it was Age of Ultron they're fighting the big massive Ultrons or whatever yeah. and there was literally a fight scene I'm like I, I specifically remember thinking I have no idea what's going on I know they're fighting that's it I don't yeah. know what's being thrown I don't know where they're getting hit I don't know what's happening because it's they're cutting so fun. fast it's all close ups there's a bunch of red going on like and it's done what, for is, what is happening two main reasons is one it's easy yeah. to do in a couple shots instead of one mm-hmm. and the other thing too is that generally if you're showing something in a one shot an action scene it seems more violent because oh in a yeah, one shot yeah yes, it yeah. seems more violent well, yeah because you actually yeah. have to show what's happening you can't hide it with a throwing a punch that's not connecting and then you cut and then you have a guy flying across the room You're like oh i know he punched him it's like you get it and you feel yeah. the impact especially with sound effects but it's different from watching like a, somebody cut somebody in half it's like okay i literally saw this i was watching jackie chan explain something about mm-hmm. this before is that he's saying in china it's government funded, so we can be here as long as it takes to get the shot right. Oh, shoot. So he'll do 100 takes to flip an umbrella <laughs> up around, right? The same oh way. My gosh. Whereas in another movie, you see like three cuts to do that. He wants to do it in one, so he'll spend, he'll do 100 takes in a row to throw the umbrella the right way. Yeah. In Western <laughs> movies, like there's a scene where in two separate movies, he does this thing where a car's chasing him, so he runs up a wall and does a backflip. Hmm. He did that a bunch of takes he got the stunt right in his normal way when he was shooting this movie in in china but when it comes to shooting the same thing for rush hour they do it in three cuts Mm. because they don't want to spend the time to do that yeah now more and more movies are saying it's like no creating that kind of spectacle is actually well worth it in a Mm. lot of these films if that's you see this fight in the bathroom in mission impossible the John Wick movies, of yeah. course, and so many movies who came to like copy that action style or like start doing their own one take fights because they're starting to realize that this spectacle is well worth it a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. I, I wholeheartedly agree. 
I think it's a really cool thing to, for stunts to have their place in yeah. these movies like this. Really like about what would you say you really liked about it? Or what do you do you dislike if anything? I liked Drax being the one line where I think it was Mantis saying it's like you're not the destroyer, you're made to be a father. Yeah. I was like, oh, that was so good. Yeah, that and was him, like leading all the kids. The incom- the thing we were talking about earlier is like his, he comes full circle from where he yeah. started out i guess yeah in the first film. yeah i really like that it's like he's trying to be de- a destroyer the whole time and he's like i am the destroyer and even when they're in disguise he so then <laughs> goes what's your name he goes i'm drax the destroyer in terms of like <laughs> duos mantis and drax were kind of like a semi thing mm-hmm. not romantically but like a duo yeah since the second movie because you have the scene where um they're just talking about like parentage mm-hmm. and Drax is explaining he's like oh no I lost everybody mm-hmm. and then Mantis has this power where if she touches someone she can feel their emotion mm. and then she can also change it Yeah. so at that point she touches Drax as he's remembering this and then just starts weeping for the pain that he's feeling mm-hmm. it's like, oh okay that's right we forgot what's buried underneath yeah. this <laughs> very literal person yeah yeah but it's like he calls himself the destroyer and he's so focused on being he's he is really powerful but he's a cuddly father at the end of the day yeah yeah i really like that aspect and the whole overall aspect of like essentially leaning towards heart being the greatest thing and winning overhead because that it's like i don't know i just like that all that stuff it's one of the reasons that everything everywhere all at once is one of my favorite things because it all boils down to the love of a family specifically mother and daughter yeah yeah what would you say you didn't like about it hmm i think we were mentioning something about the space freezing scene yeah it's anything i don't like about this movie is nitpicky so it's like yeah he at the end when chris pratt has to jump from spaceship to spaceship through space and he fails to do so so now he's freezing it's like okay well I feel like that happened pretty slow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about how fast people freeze in space, but it also full on happened. He it's like, like his really skin crystallized. That was the end of Star Lord. No. Well, if you are in the vacuum of space, that'll happen to you pretty quickly. Yeah. But it's also like a callback to something they did in a previous film. Yeah. I was like, we're doing this again, and yeah. I know you're not going to kill him here. So it was like, why are we doing this at all? Well, like, unless you're going to kill him here, I know you're yeah. not going to kill him. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much is that like we didn't really believe yeah. that kind of tension. Like, I didn't you think could, that would happen. You could have done it somewhere else. There was one other thing. I was saying the music to me wasn't as on point as it was oh, for the last two. It's I don't like know. I really they made the some. Music. There were some really good selections. I'm mm-hmm. Not saying it was bad, but there was like also other times that were like I feel like it's just loud and annoying. I'm I thought what was great for me. My favorite part of the music was at the end when. Rocket puts on Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. He starts playing because they don't show you what song he's playing. just starts playing. And I was like, shoot, I know this song because I haven't listened to it in so long. Like the whole band, I've listened to it in so long. I was like, I know this song. Maybe I just know it because it's like probably a popular song. I was like, no, no, I really know this song. And then I started getting into it. I was like, oh, yeah, so good. Yeah, when they opened this movie with, like, the completely different tone and they were playing Creep. Yeah, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, Yeah. from the happier songs from the past. What would you give this movie out of 10? Maybe a 6 or a 7. 6 or 7. Like, it wasn't the most mind-blowing, amazing thing ever. Right. It was a fun, enjoyable movie. It had a, a well-thought-out theme that was demonstrated well. Maybe I'd lean more towards Seven. I liked the characters. There was no... The acting was entirely believable. There you was didn't no... cry in any part of this movie? <laughs> no, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe when I'm like... I could see other people, like, crying at this movie. Yeah. yeah. Josh said he cried a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so it's like, it's reasonable. Yeah, it was... Like, the story was really good. Rocket's backstory was... I really liked that. And the way they focused on it, how it was the main plot. And Rocket was essentially the main character without being present, which is wild. Like, yeah. that's really well done. I'd, I'd probably lean, like, I'll, I'll settle on a seven. Because it's, it's not an incredible movie by any means. Mm-hmm. And I think I would give this one probably close to an eight, maybe like 7.8 or mm-hmm. something. Because... <sighs> 
I think it's one of Marvel's strongest properties, and I feel more for Rocket the Raccoon than I have for Tony Stark and all of yeah, everything. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Yeah. And it's not even because, like, I like the character a lot, but they just did such a good job with their emotional scenes with him mm-hmm. that I'm like, wow, this feels like I, I started out watching Peppa Pig, <laughs> and now I feel something for this character quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. yeah. Dude, just, the... The tragedy. The best setup and payoff in the whole movie was his freaking gravity boots. That's true, right? That you was think about it. So good as being something that big and because they really randomly mentioned like he's on a roof. They randomly mentioned why are, why you, are you on a roof? He's like I'm testing if these gravity boots work on slants. Yeah, and then that's in like the first five minutes. Yeah, you don't really think about it. And then it. in the last five minutes, they show up, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, I would say I enjoyed most of this movie. I was kind of like, I was thrown off a little bit in the first half. I was like, mm-hmm. this doesn't feel quite right. I feel like the things I'm watching is like, I hope this improves. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to improve quite a bit. So I, I was pretty happy with it. Which is interesting because I was pretty much all in it from the get-go. It didn't, nothing felt off, nothing felt yeah. wrong. All of the guys... I guess I came into it just thinking about the first two movies and being like, yeah, I'm just ready for this to be fun. And then it yeah. was like... <laughs> I'm a creep. <laughs> well, that's the thing. At least they set the tone well. Like, everything was that. You knew right off the bat, this is emotional. This is sad. Nobody is happy. Everybody hates each other. <laughs> yeah. They really hammered that in there. But they're I, still working as a team. They're still the found family. I definitely say that this movie succeeds in doing something that's very difficult in that it manages to make a good trequel a good third movie in a trilogy that's not an easy task with something especially not something as commercialized as marvel but they pull it off and i think that's partially because they continue on with the theme they continue on with this thesis about what it means to belong somewhere and to be part of a family I'd hope to see them come back again for another movie. I wouldn't mind that at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like, do one a few years later where they're all, like, they come back from their personal journeys and they're reunited over some common quest again. That would yeah. be pretty cool to see. Yeah. But until then, um, I'm happy ignoring everything else that Marvel does. Yep. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I started watching uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I'm behind on. Because I know it's been like a couple years. It's a TV show? Yeah, it's oh. one that they do. It's like there's a new Captain America. Mm-hmm. It's like a guy that the government just picks. <laughs> and then we're You're America now. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier are like trying to put their lives back together and all this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird, but they're also fighting the Flag Smashers. And I heard it was like a good series. And I started watching. I was like, oh, there's some of this is actually pretty good. Hmm. It's mildly interesting. It's just the problem with Disney Plus. I was saying this earlier is that it's like there's like a million of these. Oh. There's Loki. There's Hawkeye. There's the Marvels. There's Miss Marvel. There's like mm-hmm. blah blah blah. There's millions of these. I can't keep up with all of them. I don't. Even, I haven't touched Moon Knight. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I just know the only thing that would make Moon Knight good for me is if he was the way he was in all those random meme comic replacements. Or <laughs> they just be like, is Spider-Man there? Where's Spider-Man? He owes me money. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, it's so freaking funny. Yeah, it's Oscar Isaac plays Moon Knight, and they said it would be like amazing. And I was like, all right, well, let it be amazing on its mm-hmm. own over there. I'm not going to bother with <laughs> I it. I mean, I never heard anybody talk about yeah, it. Yeah, Disney is so. doing all these shows that nobody asked for. <laughs> I A lot of people are like, Andor's great. And I was like, Andor's, is, is it? Really? I don't feel like it. We watched this character die in another movie. What's going to happen in this season that's going to totally blow my mind? I already know he's going to die. I, personally, I don't like prequels very much because mm-hmm. I'm always like, the suspense is gone if I know everybody's fine. Mm. Or I know where everybody's dance yeah. out from. Yeah. So it's just not interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm 50-50 on that because... At that point, I can get that out of my head and be like, okay, so what happens? And I can interest myself in that. But aside from the, from the Spider-Verse movie, which isn't even technically the same thing, really, mm-hmm. I don't know what Marvel project I'm looking forward to right now. Hmm. I don't think there's any of them that I'm actually even mildly interested in. I don't even know what any of them are, besides the new Spider-Verse. It's like, what could it be? 
you know, like Thor's done, Captain America's <laughs> done, Tony Stark's done, mm. the Guardians of the Galaxy are done. It's like, what am I gonna watch now? Star Lord. When he comes back, <laughs> or something, maybe like a D- Disney Plus short. But even then, it's like, really? Yeah. I just, I don't know what I'm gonna go to the back to the movie theater fe- for for at all. It's definitely not gonna be for the Marvels. <laughs> yeah, no. But we do have a lot of uh, movie reviews for other films lined up. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward. I might go to see Fast X, mm. which I hope is the end of the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> not because I'm cynically like trying to say it should be over, but I'm like, I if it is the last one, I'll go see it. If it's a two-parter, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> I'll wait till the other one comes out, yeah. and then I'll consider it. Yeah, but we're also planning to see Into the Spider Verse two, Heck which should yeah. be across the Spider Verse. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. It's gonna be great. I had a friend who worked on it actually. Mm. Then of course there's Oppenheimer in July. It, we have a, a crazy weekend in July where it's gonna be Barbie and Oppenheimer actually come out on the same day. But I decided <laughs> we're gonna see Barbie first. Oh yeah. We're going to see Barbie, Oppenheimer, Indiana Jones. Nice. And then it'll be a bit of a slowdown until we get to our November, October movie runs, which is where I have some fun Halloween movies planned. We'll have to make other podcasts. Yeah, other one, other ones talking about philosophy. Ugh. I have another one coming about out soon about the Myers-Briggs personality test that we talked Ooh, about. Yeah. Where we just got it massively wrong in the beginning and I didn't <laughs> think about it. <laughs> Whatever, who cares? It's fine. It's fine. But also uh, more literature and philosophy related ones. Lots of exciting stuff coming from us here this summer and beyond for the Forest Creek. You can find us on Instagram, Spotify, other social media and podcasting platforms at the Forest Creek YouTube.com slash at the real Forest Creek. Like, share, subscribe, tell other people about this show, spread the good news. <laughs> Knock on people's doors and tell them, Have you heard the good news? And they'll be like, Look, I'm not interested in religion. They'll be like, No, I don't have a religion for you per se. I have content. I have <laughs> content. Subscribe to The Forest Creek at The Forest Creek. And you can get in touch with us for your media production needs at theforestcreek at gmail.com. Write us a letter. Tell us how nice we are. Or visit our website to check out our services at The Forest Creek at theforestcreekweb.com. Is that launched now? Semi-launched. It's not done. Okay. But, you know, we'll see you next time, folks. The Forest Creek will return <laughs> in the next, next Marvel In a post-credit property. sequence. Yeah, hold on. There's going to be a post-credit sequence coming up right after this. <laughs>